0: This episode was brought to you by Platinum Physical Therapy. More on that
1: later. You know, I don't have to be the best every day that I'm out there. Some days I, I suck and I cook it out and I lose my board a bunch of times and <laughs> I'm like, I don't know how to surf. Why am I doing this still? And then other days are magical and everything connects and I'm like, oh, I, I do know what I'm doing.
0: That was Danielle Black Lions, and this is the Running on Ohm Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to or welcome back to the Running on Ohm Podcast. I'm your host, Julia Hanlon, and I am so grateful that you, yes, you, you've chosen to tune in today. Here on the Running On Ohm podcast, we feature long form style conversations with women in endurance sports and in the outdoors. Although these conversations focus on women's stories in particular, I say this every time and I really mean it, this podcast is for everyone to listen to and for everyone to hopefully be inspired and empowered by. Now, as a runner myself, a lot of my guests are runners, and one of my goals when I relaunched the podcast in late 2019 was to bring on more diverse voices from women in sports other than running, as there's just so much wisdom from women in a variety of athletic and outdoor disciplines. So I am really, really excited to share with you Danielle Black Lions on the podcast today. Danielle's a surfer, an artist, a mother, and co-founder of Textured Waves, a collective aimed at promoting diversity in surfing. In our conversation, we cover a lot of ground. Danielle shares about her love of the water, how she found surfing, and essentially taught herself how to surf. Danielle opens up about her journey with postpartum depression, and how the water and surfing was a deeply healing force for her. Danielle also discusses the amazing organization she co-founded called Textured Waves, which is aimed at propagating the culture and sport of women surfing towards women of color and underrepresented demographics, through representation, community, and sisterly camaraderie. Danielle is also an incredible artist, and we explore her art and how the water inspires it. This was such a powerful conversation on representation in the surfing world, on Danielle's journey as a mother and a human, and why the water is so healing. I am so excited to share Danielle with all of you. And if you do tune in to today's conversation, as always... Please reach out to us if you tune in. I know that thousands of people listen to every episode, and until someone, until you reach out, you actually bring the podcast to life. Also, please consider sharing this conversation with someone you know. It might be your workout buddy, your coworker, a family member, or with your community on Instagram. Nothing beats word of mouth in helping the podcast grow. Okay, friends, let's do this. Let's dive deep with the multi-talented Danielle Blacklions. Danielle to the Running On Om podcast. Thank you.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I love to start with knowing what has been the best part of your day thus far.
1: Ooh, um, well, normally I would say I started my day with a surf, but today was a little different. Um, I needed to be on soul patrol is what I call it. That's my son's name. His name is soul. Um, so got to get him set up for school and um, he was very cute today because normally um his dad is his his morning guy, and today I got to be his his person, which was really fun. Um, he came and gave me quite a few snuggles in between his class because I was here, and normally I'm out surfing, so it was kind of sweet and special to have um, morning time with him and breakfast and um, snuggles throughout the morning so That was kind of the the highlight so far. (laughs) How old is Sol? He's nine. So still sweet, still likes me a little bit. (laughs) Has Sol been out surfing yet? Yeah, he has. Um, He was in a contest when he was six up in Santa Cruz and uh, got third place. And then he very quickly after retired and decided that he is into bodyboarding only. So he will not touch surfboards anymore in spite of me. (laughs) Oh, shucks. Yeah. I think he'll come back to it eventually. He's just—he's all about that bug life right now, which I get. I was the same way when I was younger. So it's more fun on a sponge, right? (laughs) I love it. So let's
0: back up a little bit and talk about your history with the water. Did you grow up in a family where water was something that was important to you?
1: Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, my family is, you know, full on water family. My dad was a diver. He's from the Caribbean. My mom is a really big swimmer and a diver as well. So um, pretty much every vacation, holiday, weekend was spent either at a river, an ocean, a pool, a lake, you name it. We we lived in the Bay Area. So um, we had a lot of choices as far as water ways to go to. So Um, yeah, we did a lot of camping and hiking and swimming and we had a above ground pool in our backyard. So I was always in the water. That's amazing.
0: Did it ever feel like what soul, what soul is experiencing now? Like, oh, that's kind of my parents thing.
1: Um, you know, it didn't, it just, that was my normal. So it just, it felt natural and never forced, um, I was on swim team from a very early age, from age five, along with my brother. He's uh, two and a half years older than me, and we swam competitively. Um, I went all the way up through college, and I never felt like I had to do it. It was just part of me and part of my DNA to be in the water. I was always the first one in and the last one out when we'd go swimming anywhere. Um, So, you know, my hands would be all pruny and uh, pretty much growing gills, so... That hasn't changed. I'm still the same way. Um, I think that's why I love the ritual of surfing and just being in the water every day. It's just part of who I am.
0: And when did surfing enter your life?
1: Um, so, like I said, I grew up um, in the Bay and started bodyboarding when I was you know, pretty young. I, I can't remember the exact age, but probably like five or so. Um, So I was pretty hot and heavy into it when I was my son's age, obviously, like nine. And then um, got introduced to surfing when I was in college. So a bit later in life, I was either 18 or 19. Um, I can't remember if it was my freshman or sophomore year of college. But um, I went home with a friend to the Big Island of Hawaii um, at Christmas time. And her sister let me borrow her board. And I was like, yes, I've been waiting to do this my whole life. Um, it really was something that I had, you know, idolized and admired from afar for so long, but had never, you know, had access to the equipment. And, you know, it's not an easy thing to just pick up and go do. It wasn't at the time anyway. Rentals weren't like, a, you know, everywhere. So, um, yeah, I, I got on her board and uh, was immediately stoked out because, you know, I knew that the process of, you know, wave, wave riding, I just hadn't applied it to a surfboard yet. So it was... A learning curve, but a super fun one. And I was automatically addicted and went home, um, got a board, got a wetsuit, got in the cold water in Oregon. And that's kind of where my surfing journey began. That's amazing. What part of the Oregon coast did you surf on? So I went to college at Linfield University. It's a small liberal arts school in McMinnville, Oregon. It's kind of wine country, um, south of Portland. And uh, I would surf... Um, around Cannon Beach area, um, some of my favorite spots are like Shams, Otter Rock, um, Indian Beach. So yeah, lots of really beautiful, you know, solo sessions. I remember being out there and oftentimes being the only woman in the lineup and sometimes the only human in the lineup. There would just be sea lions out there with me. So um, those, those days got a little sketchy sometimes. You know, cuz you think of sea lions and you, then you think of sharks. <laughs> Your wow. head goes all over the place. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So so do you feel like you were self-taught in the process of learning
1: how to surf? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um I didn't really even think to get lessons until I started traveling and kind of that whole surf travel thing is, you know, its own industry and um that's where I was like, oh, I should Take lessons. Duh. That, that makes sense. <laughs> just like any other sport, you, you learn and you take a lesson. But I had been, you know, working on it and you know, trial and error for years prior to even doing that. So um, yeah, I did a couple of like camps here and there, but um, I never really had like a, a coach or um, a mentor necessarily. It was just you know going out to local breaks and you know following people around, seeing what they were doing, (laughs) asking them questions here and there, um, getting free pointers. I guess I got a lot of like free, free lessons in the lineup.
0: (laughs) And when you speak to your early days in Oregon,
1: Mm -hmm. being
0: at times the only woman in the lineup, what did that feel like for you? Were you aware of that?
1: Oh yeah. Um, you know, I never was made to feel, um, you know, less than, especially up there, because there was just wasn't that many people doing it at the time. Um, And I was very aware that I was, you know, the only woman and the only woman of color um, many times, most times, 99% of the time. Um, But it's something that I'm, I'm pretty used to navigating in mostly white spaces, Um, you know, growing up, where I did and, um, living in different places throughout the West coast, I've just learned to adapt and that's just kind of my normal as well. Like I know how to kind of just float in between and, um, in between those two worlds, I guess. And, um, yeah, I think that, you know, it was something I was aware of, but it wasn't something that deterred me from doing it.
0: Yeah. That's powerful. Like, it sounds like you, you had a lot of awareness and also just strengthen who you are, you are and were.
1: Yeah, um, I think, you know, being um, mixed race and being raised by, um, you know, primarily by my white mom and she would take us to, you know, places where, we would be the only biracial children in like maybe a country club setting or something. And that was, you know, we went with a friend. It wasn't we weren't a country club family. Um, but I remember one time very distinctly, you know, me and my brother who competitively swam, I think we were probably like seven and nine. Um, and we were swimming laps in this pool racing each other with like probably pretty sweet form. And uh you guys were crushing. <laughs> we, we were crushing it. And um I think that some people were being uppity and like, well, why are these children here and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, like we're swimming laps. We're not like, we're not having a water fight. We're just like hardcore racing each other. And, um, my mom had to say something to them. Like, what's the problem? You know, like, why are you making this an issue? There's kids allowed in this space. Is this an, is a race issue that you're bringing this up? Because it feels like it is. Um, so we left because it was about us being black. And um, yeah, I just, you know, that was a very poignant part of my upbringing. Like, I just remember that very clearly. And, you know, we talked about race in my family very openly. Um, I was around a lot of other families and um, children that were biracial, being in the Bay Area, it was a very big melting pot. So I was very secure in who I was. I knew that I was different than my white peers and that I would be treated as such. So I just, I had a lot of self-awareness at a young age and I've tried to instill that as well in my son. So especially like right now during these times, it's just, it's necessary to equip them with the tools they need so that they know, you know, what to expect in this world because it's just, it's not fair and it's not, it's not changing, unfortunately. Um, Not fast enough. Um, It's not keeping up with the times and uh, we are not evolving quickly enough. So I have to prepare him for the same things I was prepared for, unfortunately, because things are pretty much the same.
0: Yeah, it's heavy. I just keep on thinking about your seven-year-old self at that pool, you know, and dealing with racism at such a young age and having to build that awareness. Like, a part of me is just like, that's not fair, you know, that seven-year-old Danielle had to be aware of that, yeah, but that no, is the not. reality.
1: It is, and it's, it's one of those things as a parent, you have to have those conversations with your children, and I think it's important for you know, all races to have those conversations because it's not fair that I'm the only one that should have to have it with you know my, my child because he's a person of color. Um, You know white parents should be talking to their white children too to be good stewards and to not be racist to be anti-racist not tolerate that kind of crap so um i think people are learning it's just they're just finding out it seems like a lot of them so um it's going to take a while to repair generations of damage you know trauma
0: and when you yourself as you've spoken to you've been navigating like adaptation the word you used is a really strong word like you shouldn't have to adapt
1: yeah that's pretty much i think every person of color knows to code switch and you know float between two worlds and you know we grow up knowing all about white history and um you know the history that we're taught in school and there's a very small chapter on black history and we get like the shortest month of the year and (laughs) to celebrate it. Um, I think that we are, you know, engineered and, um, we learn these things very, very quickly. And, you know, that's a privilege that a lot of, um, our white counterparts don't have to partake in. I think it's, I think the tides are changing and that needs to shift that mindset.
0: Yes. And I feel like you are a part of the shift with the work you do with Textured Waves. Tell me a little bit about how Textured Waves came into being.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, we, we started the collective, um, we all met online and we... Decided that we just wanted to see more representation in the surf world. It was something that was you know, hugely lacking and um, you know, none of us had really seen our likeness in surfing and um, that bothered us. So we wanted to make a change. Uh, we decided to start with a platform on Instagram. And that was about a year, maybe a year and a couple months ago. Um, we met up in person because we had only, you know, been friends online, and um, came together, created this collective. And because we're all spread out in different parts of the states, um, we have created kind of our own little communities within our local areas. So um, I'm based in Oceanside. Um, Chelsea is in Santa Cruz. Martina is in Honolulu. And Gigi um, is in Florida. She was one of our founders, too. And, um, you know, we are all just doing our own things in our collective spaces. But we are a collective of, you know, together. So we're just trying to spread a diversity message and, you know, show that the sport is for everyone. Um, We're particularly focused on um, black women and women of color and making sure that we are, you know, shedding light on our unsung Mm -hmm. sheroes kind of that, you know, we don't see in the mainstream surf media, but we should be seeing.
0: Yeah. It's so, so awesome. And the imagery of all of you surfing inspires me, makes me want to get on a board. And in particular, (laughs) the movie that you did see us now um, at the end of the movie, one of, one of you says, may the waters of change greet us all. May you see us now. And I'd love to kind of explore that statement with you. How was that written? Did you write that? And what does that statement mean to you?
1: Yeah, um, I think Chelsea wrote that. She wrote a lot of the dialogue. She's our um, in-house poet. But yeah, um, see now is basically, you know, we've been here, we've been doing this for a while, but we want you to see us now. Like this is us, we're here. You can't close Pandora's box. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's just about the future. And the future is female. It's black, indigenous, women of color. It's, you know, it's everybody. It's not just this one image that we've been force-fed. So it's time for people to expand their minds a little bit, readjust their lens of what a surfer is supposed to look like, because it can look like anybody. And, um, you know, people just need to be a little bit more welcoming and open minded.
0: Amen to that. And I really will, I will include a link to see us now in this episode because it's, it is so, so beautiful and well done.
1: Thank you.
0: Yeah. Amazing. And I know where you live in Oceanside, you're also a part of deeply involved in the surf community there. Yeah. Tell me a bit about, yeah, your local surf community. And do you surf with friends most days? Do you surf on your own? Like, how is your surfing structured into your life currently?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I do both. I I mostly just go where I want to go because, you know, I'm a mom and I have a little bit less structured. I have more structured time than um, other people. And I just don't have as much freedom as I once did. Um, So, yeah, I, I typically, you know fly by the seat of my own pants and not (laughs) go where other people Um, and their schedules tend to go. But I do like to surf with friends when I can. Um, But I surf all over. Yeah, I'm I'm a North County uh, local. So I I hang out mostly up this way. Um, Anywhere from, you know, San Onofre down to like Solana Beach area is kind of my area that I float between. Um, I started out surfing with a cool crew down here when I first moved to the area, the San Diego Surf Ladies, and um, I'm still connected to that that group, and I always see a ton of women out in the lineup. It's a really cool club that's you know made up of 400-plus like women and growing. It probably is bigger than that now. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, we're all over San Diego County, so it's, it's really hard to go out to the lineup and not see somebody that I know. And that's another thing about you know surfing by myself, because I'm never you're never by yourself in Southern California, first of all. And, um, I always see somebody I know. So yeah, I'm never really too worried about being alone necessarily.
0: <laughs> do you ever want to
1: be alone? It sounds like it's, it's past. Yeah. Um, you know, I do some days and, uh, I think that's the beauty of surfing is you can just, you know, Paddle off to the next peak if that's what you need, um, or just go to a break that you know will be a little bit less crowded than the next one, or a space that you know you can paddle off to another peak that's you know going to be just as good as the one you just left if it's too crowded or if you need some space, because um, yeah, there's a lot of days where I just you know want to be alone, and I don't want to you know spend the whole time chatting in the lineup, and then the other days I, all I want to do is chat in the lineup so. Um, yeah, it's nice to have that option. It ebbs and flows. hmm What do you mm-hmm. feel
0: like surfing is teaching you right now, or what are you learning about yourself through it? Because you have been doing it for a
1: while. Um, what do I feel like that's been teaching me? Well, it teaches me patience, I think. And it um, allows me to reset a lot of what's going on in my mind and just you know, calm the chatter. Um what else? What was the question? What it teaches me and what, what was the second part? I'm forgetting now. I think maybe <laughs> like yeah, <laughs> These two what, part questions.
0: <laughs> what you're learning about yourself through it, which it sounds mm-hmm. like you you're kind of touching upon.
1: Yeah. Um what am I learning about myself? Um I don't know it's a tough one I guess just yeah patience and forgiveness um you know I don't have to be the best every day that I'm out there some days I, I suck and I cook it out and I lose my board a bunch of times and <laughs> like I don't know how to surf why am I doing this still um and then other days are magical and everything connects and I'm like oh I, I do know what I'm doing um I think it's just it's control and um ego and you having to let go of all that stuff because surfing is such a hard humbling and hard sport um i think that's why so many people come back to it so frequently because it's it's just impossible to to master i mean there are some people that are absolutely wizards and masters of their craft but you know the wave is changing the the board is moving you're moving there's so many variables and um there just isn't a ton of control because you know backwash happens rogue waves happen so many factors you know play into the sea and there's just there has to be a surrender I think and um there's a beauty in that and just letting go and I am a very um structured person in my life. I kind of have to be, like I said, um, being responsible for another human life. So (laughs) um, I think it's the one place where I allow myself the freedom to just be and uh, let go. Let's
0: take a quick break for me to share with all of you about today's sponsor, Platinum Physical Therapy. So I first started going to Platinum PT earlier this year when I was just so sick and tired of having plantar fasciitis and issues that prevented me from running and adventuring. I tried to solve the issue with a lot of different specialists and nothing had worked thus far. So when I started working with James Cassidy, the founder of Platinum PT, his approach to my health and running was a total game changer. Week after week, James addressed my running and injuries holistically, and week after week, I just started to feel better. My running became more consistent and the issues that had plagued me finally started to subside. Platinum PT has three locations just outside of Boston and their physical therapists work one-on-one with you every step of the way. Being runners themselves makes a huge difference as they really do understand how important it is for athletes of all disciplines to return to the sports they love in a sustainable and healthy way. In addition to physical therapy, Platinum PT have a range of surfaces on offer, like an Alter-G treadmill, strength and conditioning programs, and dry needling. They also have a full telehealth program, so you can be anywhere in the world and gain access to their team of incredible professionals. I have so, so much gratitude for James, the entire team of Platinum PT. And if you're in an injury cycle, or maybe you're just looking to build strength and long-term stability, Head over to PlatinumPTMA.com for more information on all of their in-person and telehealth services. And wherever you live in the world, book an appointment today. Okay, friends, let's get back to our conversation with Danielle. When you look at your journey with surfing and you mentioned those magical days, take me to one magical day, whether it be recent or in your experiences, that is a day you come back to or a day you dream of
1: a day surfing that was magical yeah
0: um or a wave that you caught that was magical
1: <laughs> this isn't necessarily a magical story but it's a funny one um it was actually when i was like kind of connecting how to um ride the nose i was still like fumbling through the motions and i was like ah, oh, i can't get my toes to the edge and i was super mad at myself and um I remember I was riding this wave and I was wearing a leash and uh, it was kind of bumpy out and I totally tripped over the cord and tripped forward to the nose and I I caught this pretty decent wave. I'm sure it looked awkward. It felt awkward for sure. And I was like, Oh, I made it, but it was totally by mistake. Um, (laughs) I didn't mean to do that, but I, I was like, crap now I can't remember how I did that because it was an accident so I still like was frustrated afterwards but then these women on the stairs um when I was getting out they were like that was a great wave and I was like what really and I was like I totally tripped and they're like you did I was like yeah I didn't even mean to do that and they're like oh it looked really cool I was like oh sweet <laughs> Wish you would have recorded it so I could see what I did <laughs> I feel
0: like now can um, I just recreate that
1: <laughs> yeah it's still, I was still like, "Ah, I don't know how I did that or what I did to get there, but um, it was just a funny random story. Not necessarily like my best day, but it's just a weird one. (laughs) How did you break through then Um, to getting that skill? I'm still working on that skill. It's still not consistent. Um, Like I said, it's a learning thing. And it's a constant forever learning thing. And for me, like it's a muscle memory and I'm not locked into it yet. Like some days I can do it and other days I just act like a kook. So it's just, it's okay. Like I forgive myself and not every wave is meant to be nose ridden. You know, some waves are just for floating and carving and that's okay.
0: (laughs) Have you ever had periods where you weren't able to surf, whether it be from injury or living in a place where you didn't have waves accessible, and what was that like for you?
1: Yes, all of the above. Um, I actually am just getting well from a meniscus tear and um, an MCL strain. So I wasn't really out of the water that long because I surfed on it for like a good month um, when I probably shouldn't have been. Um, And then I got the MRI. and my doc was like so what have you been doing and I was like mm, surfing he's like yeah you probably shouldn't do that and I was like well I figured I had time because I hadn't gotten the results yet and you hadn't told me no so <laughs> here we are um so yeah I, I still didn't stop surfing he was like well I need to put you in a longer brace and I was like yeah I'm not gonna wear that um and he was like okay well let's we'll get you in um, like a hinge one and wear something that's like more durable when you surf. And I was like, okay, I can do that. So I've just been babying it and going to PT. Um, my, my physical therapist is um, Caitlin Michelson. She's a pro longboarder. So she knows that what I'm up to. And um, she would probably do the same <laughs> as me. <laughs> so she's not scolding me, um, but she's working me very hard and um getting me healthy. So yeah, um I probably was out for like I think I let my when I first heard it and it was really hurting. Um I was out for maybe like a week if that. And then I was like body surfing and um then I was surfing like the day after that. So yeah, I'm a very bad patient. I know that about myself. Um what else yes i have lived other places where i have not been by the water and i lived in london for four years um i was in the city um in west um west london? No, east london sorry not west london um in uh stoke newington and we were in a flat and like a, a high rise and um yeah i wasn't by the water every day and i was okay i did other things um I swam laps and, you know, I had a job in advertising. So I rode the tube every day to work and uh, did yoga, did other things. And then we'd go on vacations to surf, obviously, um, all around Europe, which wasn't so terrible because there's lots of really cool places to go. But yeah, it's hard to um, not live by the water. I, I have decidedly... You know, told my husband, like, we are not doing that again. Like, we have to always live by the water. And he's like, all right. So here we are on Oceanside. <laughs>
0: and we're not leaving. What brought you to London?
1: Uh, my husband's English and uh, he's from there. And actually, we went there because of the recession in 2009. We both got laid off of our jobs on the same day. And we're like, oh, cool. We just bought this house. Like, what are we gonna do, um uh, so we rented it out and uh said, let's just go to Europe and like get jobs there. The economy's better and it was, and we did, and we stayed there for um almost four years. We stayed till the twenty twelve Olympics and uh came back with baby. <laughs> that's where my son was born and um yeah, that was kind of the journey it we were We were there for a while, it was really cool um I enjoyed it for what it was pre-baby, post-baby. I was, I was pretty done. I was, I wanted my home back. I wanted a yard, um, the parks and the tube and the city life just wasn't enough anymore. So, and I was you know struggling with some postpartum depression that I hadn't dealt with and I needed to, and I needed my family and I needed a support system to kind of rally around me and bring me back to life. So um, coming back to the States was kind of a critical next move.
0: Yeah, I so appreciate, appreciate your openness and sharing about your postpartum depression because even though it's something a lot of people experience, I really don't think it's something people talk a lot about.
1: Yeah, yeah it's just one of those things. Um, I don't know why it's so taboo in our culture to talk about anything related to um, you know birthing children and it's it's there's a ton of stuff that's you know that can go wrong and that is traumatic about um you know having children and just uh it's a it's a rabbit hole that i I won't go down the whole thing because i can get so sidetracked but um (laughs) sticking to uh the postpartum depression um i had a very traumatic birth um and labor and delivery was just um pretty awful all around the recovery was very hard and uh you know he came with no instruction booklet so i was just you know there with my husband he was working full-time granted he had some um paternity leave but just better than the states but still it wasn't enough and you know i was just you know left with this newborn and you know all of these emotions from your hormones and Um, I had just had surgery, which I'd never had surgery on anything in my life. So um, I was kind of a baby about that, but it was, you know, very traumatic and I had nearly lost my life. So it was, you know, my mom came over, she was there and um, she helped me heal. And she was already had been there for, I think three weeks because my son was two weeks overdue. So she could only stay so long. She changed her flights uh, I think a couple times. And then when she left, I just, I turned into a puddle. <laughs> um, you know, I just I needed my people around me and we stayed, I think, I think we were there for a year and a half still after um he was born because we came back. He wasn't even two yet. So um yeah, I did a lot of you know Skype calls with my family. I I went back to the States to visit, um, I think once or twice and then my mom came over um quite a few times too to see me but it was just hard um you know I never imagined when I would be a mom that I would be doing it in that way and it just um you know I thought I would always have like my like people around me and like you know he would be growing up with his cousins which he has you know my brother has children too so um being so far from them was really hard too and um yeah just being disconnected from I guess, my crew, my people, um, that was one of the hardest things. And then uh, just all the emotions that I felt and not forgiving myself um, for, you know, the outcome of how the birth happened. Um, I kept replaying in my mind, like, oh, if I wouldn't have had these interventions, you know, things could have been different and I just wouldn't wouldn't let it go, like, very, like, stuck on what went wrong. and. I just could not let it, let things go um, for the longest time. And it took me forever just to forgive myself. And, you know, nobody talks about these things. So I was just internalizing this stuff, um, not having anyone other than like the women in my life, like my mom and um, people that were close to me that knew my story. Um, because I wasn't very public about it in the beginning. I held, I held it very close to chest. Um, but yeah, I just, I didn't... I don't think I handled it well. And, um, the thing that, you know, really did bring me back to myself was water. And I got back into swimming and, um, you know, brought my son into the water with me right away when he, as soon as he could get in the water, he was in there with me. And, you know, it wasn't that he wasn't enough. It was just that I felt so horrible about myself and, um, being a failure not having a birth like not birthing him the right way to feel like a woman and you know just struggling on other things and um you know I, I adored my son but i just i felt so inadequate in so many other ways it's just it's this weird juxtaposition of you know wonderful feelings horrible feelings all mixed into one and I, it's really hard to explain unless you've you know lived it and felt that way ever but um yeah it's I don't know. Um, Water was the one thing that, you know, brought me back. And it's funny because um, my son, he, he's got a little temper. It's adorable. Um, He's like a little carbon copy of me in so many ways, but I have quite the fiery temper too. Um, But just adding water, like I'd always give him a bath if he was like, and bothered and like fired up or just crying or whatever, even now, like now that he's older and he's just you know, if he's mad about something, we go swim or we go to the beach, and everybody's just like, ah, you know, we're just like, ah, it's all good now. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's our element, it's a it's a I want to say it's hereditary because, um, really everybody in our family is you know, a water woman or a water man, and that's just. Natural for us, and it resets us all. So, um, yeah, when I finally got back into surfing again, that's when I really reconnected um, with my soul and, you know, found myself again. So, yeah, I, I think you know, surfing and the water is huge and playing a role in my, you know, recovery and rediscovery of who I am.
0: Yeah. What I'm hearing from you is just your journey in healing. Like it -hmm. took a village in that it took like being in community. It took making changes of where you lived. It took like bringing Mm -hmm. water back into the forefront of your life village, meaning like all like healing has to come from all places.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And the move here was um, also really critical to that too. I, I just, I needed to be by the water every day and things really shifted for me when we came here and, you know, I met the women um, from the San Diego surf ladies and started going out daily and surfing and, you know, reconnecting with people and making relationships. And then, you know, changing my work to, um, I, you know, reinvented myself as far as my career goes to, I, I, I don't work in advertising anymore and uh, I work remotely doing closed captioning for the deaf and hard of hearing, which, uh, is a totally different career path, but I, I love it because it gives me freedom to you know, make my own hours and you know, my own schedule. I don't have to answer to anybody at my own boss, so I can keep my little temper to myself.
0: <laughs> Wait, and I, I want to understand more. <laughs> Bossing of, me around. <laughs> I love it. I want to understand more about your work with the deaf and closed captioning. What, is yeah. that, um, what does that look like and what does that entail?
1: Yeah, so uh, you know, like when you go into a bar and you see um, like soccer on the screen or something or football and there's the words flying across and they're captioning it, that's what I do. So I started out doing um, news, sports, so I do like soccer games, um, nationwide news, uh, lots of press conferences, and now I do more stuff for students. So I do a lot of um, work at the university level um, on a national scale. So if a student is deaf or hard of hearing. They will request captioning. They will get a tablet or they'll use their phone. And then I just get the audio feed sent to me and I repeat what I hear verbatim. It's all speech. It's not typing or anything like that. And um, my speech turns into text with my software and that flies up to the screen of the student in need. Wow. And so is it a live process of your, your speaking? It's all live. Yep. It's all real time. Um, which I love because if I mess up, it's, it's out there. I don't have to edit it. <laughs> you kind of learn to be like, embrace the suck. And like, if you do make mistakes, it's, it's just normal. They know it's a human behind there. Um, but actually the humans are more accurate than the computers. The computers still, um, can't keep up with us because you know they don't have the, the different tools that we do as humans. They can't add in, um, you know, the sounds like laughter and applause, things like that. So if you see a lot of mess ups on a captioning service, it's not a human. It's, it's a machine. It's AI. <laughs> wow. Because <laughs> humans are, I'm, I'm about 98% accurate. So I, I don't make too many mistakes.
0: How do you think your work with closed captioning has impacted the way you are as a communicator in your life?
1: Um... Well, I definitely talk faster now because I, because I, I do um, speech to text. So my voice is really fast when I'm actually working. So I have to remind myself to slow down a lot of the time when I do speak to a human, <laughs> not talking to my computer. Um, I think it's, um, it's helped me just to be um, more connected to people. Um, I've been able to work all over the States and a couple of times internationally with, um, this job. And it's, it's been really cool just to learn about different things. And, you know, I've, I've been able to go to, to Yale and to Harvard and I never thought I would go to an Ivy league, but here I am sitting in on their classes. So, um, you know, I can get a, a law degree if I want to, if I want to take a a term of law school, I can, I can do that. You know, it's, it's cool because I can learn about all these different things. So um it's really it's really interesting and fun to um you know look at the semester and just pick classes and like what do I want to do <laughs> you know <laughs> um yeah, I don't know it's just been interesting and and then it's funny too like in times of covid um there's so many different um like meetings that I sit in on and conferences and things like that and it's it's interesting to see everybody go remote and uh all the just the the oddities that happen when you're in Zoom calls and people that have never been on Zoom or been remote, you know, half the time that we're on the call, they're just troubleshooting and I'm I'm you know captioning like, well, how do we do this, Phil? And what's this button do? Am I live? Can you hear me? You know, so many technical glitches and just funny stuff that happens, and a lot of people um, forgetting that they're on camera. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of funny stuff behind the scenes that I get to see amazing
0: I mean you get to be forever a student in a way because you're going yeah. to learn about so many different disciplines it sounds like
1: yeah I'm a little fly on the wall it's
0: so cool so you also are an artist an incredible artist and I was looking at your work with Salty Soul really beautiful yeah.
1: Tell oh, yes. me a bit
0: about your identity as an artist. Has that been always a part of your life, creating?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think back to, like, my first memories as a little kid, like, with our Play-Doh table in the Bay Area and just, like, molding Play-Doh all day and, like, coloring and, like, crafting. And my mom always had art projects for us um, growing up. So, uh, yeah, I've always been drawn to art as a medium and um, painting And I just, um, in the last couple of years, got into resin art. So that's kind of my favorite right now is um, working with wood and um, creating oceanscapes with resin. And I'm using this really cool product um, that's Eco Resin. So it's better for the environment. It's not as toxic and the fumes are not harmful like the ones I was working with previously. So something that I feel better about too. Um, But yeah, I just, I love to, you know, paint, Surfing and oceanscapes, um, particularly women surfing, I just think that we're beautiful to watch. And um, there's a lot more grace and just flow with, um, with women. So I love to paint, you know, surfers.
0: And when do you find time amidst all your other passions
1: <laughs> and work to create art? Um. You know, most of my art is, I get in like these little zones. So um, it's usually when I'm injured um, that I have like more time, the most time. So you're probably like, what did she, what did she break? Why is she making art? What what happened? Um, I feel you on that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But yeah, I also will find time here and there. And actually while I'm on, you know, calls, captioning, I'll either be Crushing candy or sketching something in my sketchbook. <laughs> you know, I'm always on Candy Crush. Like I've got a pretty high score. Um, or I'm sketching. I'm usually drawing while I'm doing captioning too, because it gets very meditative. Like you're just like listening to someone talk and you're repeating what they say, and you just kind of get in this zone. And so I can like start doing other things with my hands while I'm while I'm captioning too. So that's when I start sketching, or you know, I'll do some watercolors or something like that. And then the resin, I usually tinker like at night. And did you it's make the beautiful jellyfish behind you? Uh, I did. Yeah. That's, uh, that's our family. That's um, and the purple one because that's my color. And my son is the blue one and my husband's the green one.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. I mean, there yeah. are, you spoke to earlier sharks and there's jellyfish. There's a lot of scary stuff in the water. Have mm. you ever had any scary experiences surfing?
1: Um, not so much with sea life necessarily. I've been injured a couple times, um trying to think if there was anything with sea life oh i oh, there was one actually um when I was in Portugal. it's a funny one too. I always have weird stuff happen to me um so I was bikini surfing, and this was when I was younger and actually could could wear a bikini um, <laughs> and uh I remember I was paddling back out it was it was I was at like this um this kind of surf retreat thing where I wasn't really like part of the camp necessarily but I went there for the day to just like get a ride to the spot um and I remember I was paddling out and we'd been there all day and this was like I don't know session two or three and paddling out to the lineup. And um, I saw this little tiny like crab floating on the water surface. And I was like, oh, that's cute. I kept paddling. And I was like, oh, where'd he go? Still paddling, sit up on my board, and I feel this pinch down south where you shouldn't feel a pinch. And I look down in my bikini bottoms, and there's a crab in my pants. (laughs) Holding on for dear life is teeny. He's just little. I'm like, ah, I've got crabs. <laughs> so I had a crab. Um, that was an overshare.
0: No, that just sounds painful. Face.
1: I'm just like, oh my God, fuck. I don't know what I would do. So that was only part one of the, the trauma. So I had this crab and I, you know grabbed him. He wouldn't let go. He was like holding me. I'm like, you little fucker but I finally get him off and then I chuck him and then there's blue bottle jellyfish and they have those long tentacles and one of them wrapped around my inner thigh. So this whole like Southern hemisphere of my body is just like pissed. I get out of the water. I'm like, somebody needs to pee on me. I, I need pee. <laughs> so I had a crab. Nibble and um, a jelly sting on that day. That was not the best day. But yeah, I mean, nothing big as far as like wildlife. Um, you know, I've been stung by a stingray twice. That sucked. That felt like childbirth. Like that felt like labor pains. The one that I got really bad. He hit like my funny bone in my foot. I don't know. It, it was oh. just, it hurt forever. It hurt forever. I didn't get it. It didn't get an infection, but it hurt for like months. It is the pain. And I didn't go to the doctor or anything, but because um, it didn't get infected and there was no barb, but it really freaking hurt and it left a gnarly scar. And every once in a while, like I can still feel like, I don't know, scar tissue and like itchy and I don't know. Um, not pleasant. I'm not a fan of, this, of the stingrays. rays. <laughs> They're like demonized raviolis they look like. <laughs> um, you know, No, no real wildlife stuff. But again, like I've had a couple, um, you know, fin gashes to the knee and to the nose um, you know, here and there. And you keep coming Nothing back. Major, though.
0: And you keep yeah. coming back. I mean, that's what I feel like when you love something, it's hard not to. Where yeah. is a place in the world you haven't surfed yet that you would love to surf?
1: Um, I haven't been to South America yet. I would really like to go. I've, I've been to... Almost all of Central and a lot of Mexico, but I haven't been to any of South America. And um, I would love to like, just spend several months going around everywhere seeing everything. Because I always want to see everything. <laughs> Not just like one spot. All of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's that like forever uh, learner in you, it sounds like.
1: Yeah. I just, I love to travel and I can't wait for things to open back up so we can do that safely.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, what has COVID been like for you and how has it shifted your life?
1: Uh, Well, we've we've canceled a couple travel plans this year. Um, I was supposed to be in Hawaii next week and I won't be, (laughs) sadly. Um, We've been pretty, you know, bunkered down here at our house. My son's in school, so that's all remote and kind of a struggle, to be perfectly honest. It's just, it's not easy. Um, I know we're not alone in that feeling and um, our situation is not unique, but it's just, it is hard. And I think, um, you know, it's difficult for, for kids. I feel really bad for my son and you know, he had such a great teacher last year and we fought really hard to get him that teacher and he only had half a year with him. So that was just such a bummer. And I, I kind of like went to the principal. I was like, hey, I really wanted to have this teacher again. Like he needs more time with them. And we got him again, which is like the one saving grace because this teacher, he's amazing. And he he just, he makes the kids laugh and he makes fun, like kind of... The, the center point of, of class and the focal point of, um, his lessons is just like, you know, making things fun and interesting. And I think that's really important for a student like my son who needs that, you know, he needs the fun. He needs that, that little bit of stimulus. It can't just be like droning on a lesson over we're not having any fun. So, um, that's been really great for him to have that. um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's odd having us all home. Um, like I said, I work remotely already and my husband was kind of a part-time remote worker and now he's full-time. Um, so there's just a lot of bodies in the house and there's never any food because we're eating all of our meals here. So I feel like I'm shopping all the time and cooking meals all the time. Thankfully, we share that job, my husband and I, but there's, we're always, we've always got like something being made or, you know, going to the store. It's a lot of, lot of being home and um, it's weird <laughs> but it's becoming normal
0: yeah I mean you brought up so many layers to the complexity of this time like the schooling component for parents it's just really hard I don't have children but I can't even imagine what that's like for you as a parent and for the kid like both both yeah. parties are it's challenging and not yeah. having personal space is also really real
1: yeah yeah um you know, that's, that's why I go surfing in the morning and my husband, he does dawn patrol sessions. Um, but he goes walking and hiking. Um, that's his dawn patrol. So we shift, he goes at five to five to seven. I go seven to nine usually, but today, like I said, I'm, I'm home this morning. So, um, that's usually our, our time that we get for ourselves. And, um, you know, when we don't get it. We, we both get a little bit cranky, so I'll have to make up for it later <laughs> this evening. <laughs> so I'm not a grouch, yeah. but, um, yeah. Um I don't know, just it's it's odd. Everybody's here and we're we're making it work, but it's just it just feels kind of weird and a little a little wrong. <laughs> totally. <laughs> you know? Totally. Yeah.
0: So what is ahead for you in these upcoming months? I mean, I know you we don't know, you know, with travel and mm-hmm. things like that, but are there any projects that are really inspiring you? Um
1: yeah, um I've got I've got a lot of stuff going on. Um, Textured Waves is, you know, we're working on a couple different projects with a few different brands that we're excited about. Um, We're hoping to make a a longer film and um, host retreats for women of color um, in 2021. If, you know, if things get better, Uh, that's the goal. Maybe this time next year, we'll be doing something fun up in like central coast, potentially. Um, and then for myself, um, I have a gallery that will be hosting some of my work here in Encinitas So that's going to be launching this Sunday. Um, Amazing. You can check out my page for more info on that t- to come. And then um, I have a collection for my art with um, my good friend Jennifer, her company, Her Waves. Uh, there's a cute little shirt that was made and uh, my art prints and some cute stickers that are for sale. So
0: yeah, I was going to um, buy this shirt. I'm obsessed with it. It's beautiful. Yeah.
1: Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, that was really fun to make. So it's always cool to make something in collaboration with surf buddies. So yeah. Um, very excited about that. What else? Um, hmm. Yeah, we're doing a screening. That's what the other thing was. I was like, I do there's something. Um, hoping to do a screening of CS um, Now and our other short film, uh, Textured Waves, that was done by the Narnar Honeys. And that'll be in Encinitas at the end of the month. So again, um, hopefully more details to come on that one very soon. But we're still hammering out the finer stuff like location <laughs> to be determined.
0: Wow. You've got your, your hands in a lot of different buckets. It's really inspiring.
1: Yeah. I like to stay busy. That's my normal.
0: <laughs> totally. Is there anything we haven't touched upon that you want to bring forward?
1: Uh, I don't think so. we talked about a lot.
0: <laughs> if people want to connect with you, what is the best way to do that and to support the work you do?
1: Um, so uh, my website for... The collective is texturedwaves.com and our handle is the same, texturedwaves. And then for myself, um, you can find me at salty.soul, that's S-O-L, like my son's name. And yeah, I also have a website, saltysoulartworks.com. And those are the main ways to reach me.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much, Danielle, for your time, for sharing your story and
1: just being you. Yeah, thanks for having me. This
0: podcast was made possible with the support from Platinum Physical Therapy. Platinum PT have three locations outside of Boston and have been a major contributor in my ability to run healthy this year. I started working with James Cassidy, the founder of Platinum PT back in January, and I have been blown away by the holistic care and improvements I've seen in my health. Platinum PT have a range of services outside of physical therapy, including an altergy, dry needling, and full telehealth capabilities for those of you who aren't based locally. So you can gain access to their incredible team of professionals from anywhere in the world. Now, if you're in an injury rut right now, or you just want to get stronger in your sport, check out PlatinumPTMA.com for more information on all of their services and book an appointment today. Isn't Danielle amazing? If you haven't already, I would highly recommend connecting with her on Instagram. Her Instagram handle is at salty.soul, where you can see some beautiful photos of Danielle on the waves, get a deeper understanding of her work with textured waves, and get to see the powerful artwork she creates. Please, please do reach out to us on Instagram if you tune in today, and consider sharing the conversation with your Instagram community, maybe with your family member, a friend, or someone you know who also loves the water. Nothing beats word of mouth and helping the podcast grow. Next week, Abby and I will be back for our monthly Soul Sister Sessions, which is always a joy to share with all of you. A huge thank you to the incredible podcast team that makes Rue a reality. That's Nick Errol for podcast management, Tim Briggs for design, John Summerford for audio production, Caitlin Marie Minor Ong for illustration, and my album artwork thank you. Thank you to this team. Thank you. Yes, you for listening. Lots of love and gratitude.